0: For Kilmarnock Football Club, the 1990s was a decade of success after success, climbing back from the foothills of Scottish football to once again find itself in the top league. And there was a new stadium too. Mark Riley played a key role in the promotions, the last day survivals, the European matches and the cup win of 1997. But who will he choose as the best 11 players to wear that iconic A.T. Maze kit? If, in fact, they all did wear that kit. I'm Gordon Gillan and this is Mark Reilly's AT Maze 11 Signed for Cormoran in 1991 and spent the best part of 10 years at the club. When choosing this 11, was it almost difficult remembering every single teammate you played with? It was, yeah, that was a, that was a, a difficult part because so obviously
1: it was the best part of 11 years I was there, right through the 90s. So, yeah, starting from the, the kind of Jim Fleet and into Tommy Burns era, and you know, I left when, when Jim Jeffries came in. Can I drag up a few names that Oh, I remember him, he did a great job, he did really well for that period, so yeah, it wasn't easy, some positions were more difficult for me than others, um, in particular, picking the strikers was um, was really difficult, but some of them were, were fairly straightforward for me as well.
0: Right, first things first, the formation.
1: I'm going to go with four at the back, I'm going to pick four midfielders and two strikers, there's Definitely a bit of flexibility on my side though, so in terms of the midfield players that I pick play playing various formations, so there is a bit of flexibility there, so we could play with a flat four, could play with a narrow three with one wide, going either left or right, could play with a narrow three and one just floating about, and along picking a back four, if need be, one of my midfield players that I'm picking could also go back in and play it play defensively to to give us a three at the back with pushing the the full backs forward. So there's a bit of flexibility on my side. So I I looked at the team with regards to that as well, different formations and how opposition would potentially play against my team. So there's a great bit of flexibility and a lot of goals in the team, which, which I was quite pleased about.
0: Is it formation picked with players in mind or players with formation in mind?
1: A bit of both, Gordon, to be honest, because I've not necessarily picked what I would class the most talented player for that particular position. I tried to get a balance with the team as well. And
0: so I haven't always picked the best most or most talented player that I played with in that particular position. What would the style of this team be? What would you be looking for in terms of the of the type of performance? I
1: think set up defensively, I think the one thing we did, we can get into probably later under the, the Tommy Burns era, was we pressed really high and when no position had the ball we defended from the front. Um, and that started from the striker. So although there's a few flair players in my team, I think there's enough hard-working players as well that we could be well-organised defensively. Maybe not quite as athletic and as fit as the Tommy Burns team from 94. However, good enough to make it difficult and awkward for the opposition defensively, but then going forward with the type of players that are picked from middle to front, eh, I think would cause anybody problems. Do you think that the Comornec fans would be surprised by any of the players that you've picked? Probably left a few fans' favourites out. So I think um, there's certainly a few positions and areas of the team that I'm sure a lot of fans will disagree with. But I have picked what I think is the best players that would be able
0: to play together and put a winning team on the part. And I'll give my reasons for picking those individual players and why I picked that player in that position. Let's think about the goalkeeper first. And there were several choices I think you could have gone with. Yeah,
1: I think right away from the early days, sticks out is uh, Bobby Geddes. Um, he's, he's a really reliable goalkeeper. Nothing fancy technically from Bobby, but did the job really well. Good, solid goalkeeper lovely guy, reliable, and probably in the modern game would do well when the the big thing now is about goalkeepers being able to play from the back. He had a great left peg, Bobby as well, and he was a really, really, really good goalkeeper for for the club during the period he was there. And then there was also Mellie had come in, Colin Meldrum came in and played a few games as well, had a spell on the team, maybe in terms of stature, not physically the, the biggest goalkeeper, but he was very agile, good shortstopper. And then after that, Drago came in. Drago was, was fantastic in terms of technical ability. Um, I remember when he first came to the club, he was, he was coming to the edge of the box and actually catching crosses. And technically and ability-wise, he was, he was very, very good. I can even remember a save he had in the cup final where it was just under the bar and he actually caught it. It was, I think, Probably a lot of European-style goalkeepers would have parried that away, and a lot of goalkeepers would have tried to parry it away, but he held on to it and came down. So technically, he was he was, um, he was was very good. And it was difficult, but my goalkeeper, I'm going to go with Gordon Marshall. And my reasons for that are Gordon, again, was a really, it was a solid, steady, reliable goalkeeper, good shot stopper came to the club, he, he was a fantastic professional and I think for me, what set Gordon apart of the attributes that he maybe had really stuck out, he was a fantastic communicator, really good organiser, he was a fantastic professional, he had great respect in the dressing room from the, from the players and even from the, from the management. I think even for example corners against Gordon used to have a big scene where we would set up and I think that was the first time I came across that. Normally the manager would, would tell the team the way we were setting up, but Gordon had an influence in that and it just shows the respect that Bobby and the coaching staff had for Gordon. And certainly if you were playing in front of him, as I said he was a fantastic communicator and he would talk constantly during the game and if you're on the back four or whatever formation in front of him, he would be on your toes. So I
0: think It was those leadership qualities, I think, that really just set Gordon apart, and that's why I would would pick him as my goalkeeper. Drago Lekovic, it was different with Bobby Geddes. Bobby Geddes almost joined Kilmarnock at the veteran stage of his career, so there was almost an expected transition, but with Drago Lekovic, he was was at the peak of his career when he left to, I think he went to Spain. So there would have been an element of disappointment, and would Gordon Marshall's signing have been a boost to cancel out that disappointment?
1: Gordon obviously came, he played with Celtic, he was very experienced and you're probably a different stage of his career from Drago but I think the one thing in the goalkeeper position, as we've saw over the years that sometimes goalkeepers with that experience, it's the one position where as they get older, they can actually become better and I know Gordon had problems with his knees but as I say, he was a fantastic professional, he used to go in the swimming pool most afternoons to try and help with his fitness, his flexibility. And just going back to what you touched on um, earlier, and what I touched on as well, I've not necessarily picked the most talented player in every position. Maybe somebody like Big Jimmy Stewart, who's a goalkeeping coach, would maybe agree or disagree with me. But probably technically, the most dragger was probably more gifted, a goalkeeper than Gordon, more athletic. As you say, they peak his careers physically at that good age. But it was just those extra qualities Gordon brought in the dressing room and on the pitch That leadership, that communication That organisation It just kind of tipped it for me
0: And Gordon had an, an imposing physical stature as well, didn't he? He
1: did, he was a big guy And I think that was part of it as well That aura he had, he had a presence about him And that was evident in the dressing room You know, he had that confidence He had that presence A lot of the players looked up to him So there was a real respect for him So he did have that presence about him, that aura Maybe that those things the supporters don't quite see, but when you're in the dressing room and you're, and you're working with these guys on a daily
0: basis, it, it becomes really evident. Mark, moving on to the right-back position, and this might be one that doesn't surprise very many people, but just for confirmation almost, who would you have chosen as your right-back?
1: This was actually probably the easiest choice for me. Not because... There wasn't other good players who played during that decade or eleven years that I was there in that position, but I think Gus McPherson really stood out and made the right back position his own. You know, I can think off the top of my head other players like Tommy Wilson, you know, Stephen Hamill, and James Fowler, had a spell. Peter Canero. I think over that that kind of decade, Gus McPherson really made that full back, that right back position his own. Gus was a really good player, he was an intelligent footballer, he played midfields prior to playing right back. So he was a good footballer, he had a good footballing brain. He was very steady, underrated, I think he could probably have played at a higher level. Gus, he was quick as well, and I can't actually recall many wingers giving Gus a hard time. So he was good defensively, just really reliable, steady player again over that. Course of that ten, eleven year period that he was
0: there, and one of the follow up questions I was going to ask Mark, and you've touched on it already. Do you think he was taken for granted? And I do, and I mean by everybody because he was always there.
1: Yeah, I think there's that expectation when someone plays as regular as Gus does. There can be that element where you take that that consistency we can week out for granted. You know. And it's human nature. If you maybe drop below that, maybe for a period or whatever, maybe in some quarters there can be a little bit of criticism if you make a mistake. But in general, as I say, over that 10, 11 years, whatever Gus was there and played, surely at that time he was kind of first choice right back. And he was, he was so consistent. And it was another thing Tommy Burns used to always say, and and he said to me, you start off and you need to do it week in, week out, and you need to do it month in, month out, and you need to do it year in, year out. See, once you're doing it year in, year out, then you can look back and say, no, I'm doing okay. And that kind of sum Gus up, because he, he was consistent year in, year out. He would always be quite happy to put his input in if there was ever team meetings and what his thoughts were. And he was a thinker in the games. And he had a good football intelligence. When you talk about football intelligence, there's a there's quite a few players in my team that maybe supporters wouldn't recognise, but were really... Had that Labour class football intelligence, a real awareness of different roles in the pitch, not even just their own position, but positional sense of other players and midfield
0: players, wingers, strikers, etc. Good knowledge of the game, and, and, and Gus had that, so I wasn't surprised that he went on and did really well in his managerial career as, as well. Thinking, Mark, about the other fullback position now, left back for Kilmarnock, over, down the years, and particularly in the 1990s. You've got a lot of good quality players who are also quite, I think Kilmarnock fans might agree, cult heroes as well. Yeah. That type, yeah. and So there's quite a few to choose from. Who have you gone for?
1: Before I tell you who I went for, again, Gordon, as you said, a number of players. You know, like fans' favourites, for example, Gary Hay. He was just coming through, probably towards the end of my career. Guys like Posh McKinley coming at the end of his career had a great left foot. And obviously a big fans' favourite was Dylan. And I suppose Dylan played the way his personality is. He was really enthusiastic, really bubbly, outgoing. And he was the type of personality. He lived locally in the community when it came up. And he really made an effort to integrate the supporters. And he he was a big, big, big fan's favourite and really good going forward. he done fantastically well. Martin Baker was another one that springs to mind who technically was, was gifted. It was a difficult choice for me. And it was... Between Tam Black and Dylan, but I've just went for, for Tam Black. And my reason for going for that is Tam was physically was really strong. and had a good presence. He was a really solid defender. Good, steady defender. Similar to Dylan, he had a great left peg. But I think the thing that set Tam apart, especially for a full-back, that was really unusual Tam would chip in with half a dozen goals a season for you, and really important goals. He had a rocket at left foot, so whether it was free kicks, penalties, and that was the other thing with Tam, he had a fantastic temperament. So he was quite happy. You know, if you get a penalty in a big game, for example, you knew Tam Black would come up, and, and nine times out of ten, you're confident he's going, to, he's going to hit the back of the net. So Tam had a fantastic temperament, really good guy as well, really an assuming guy, humble guy. The big thing for me that set Tam apart, I think, what you're looking for first of all, first and foremost, is can your defenders defend, and he could do that. So for that reason, I've got to go with Tam Black. No, as I say, Tam, Tam physically was an imposing character. You know, he had very big legs, big thighs. He was a physically strong guy, so he could, he could take care of himself and handle himself. There's one player in particular in my team. In fact, there's two players that jump out in particular on my team and I'm and not playing them in the defensive formations that I would say it could be quite nasty. I wouldn't put Tam in that category, but he was certainly physically strong enough that you wouldn't want to mess with Tam. But he was really unassuming. Quite a quiet guy, but within that, a quiet confidence in his ability.
0: And he did a fantastic job for Kermar. For the centre-half positions. Tough call. It is a tough call. Quite a lot of... Again, over the years,
1: good centre-backs, um, off the top of my head. Neil Whitworth came in, did a lot of good attributes. Neil was really unlucky with injury and then illness. I think he had tuberculosis, kind of struggled to recover from that. Derek Anderson did a good job. Early on, Big Craig Patterson wasn't always a regular, but again, another fantastic professional. Jim Lachlan again, come in. Jim's a great lad. He End a Glasgow boy, confident come in young boy and, and, and did a good job as well. But when I think of my time at Comarnock, I think of there's two centre-back partnerships that stick out for me. Um, and I think centre-back is, is a position where look, partnerships work well together. And the two that stick out for me is early on in the Burns era was, was Ray Montgomery and Andy Millen. And then latterly Ray Montgomery and Kevin McGowan. I think the first two, Raymond and Andy, interestingly, none of the two of them for centre-backs were physically imposing. In terms of height, etc., they were both fairly small. Um, obviously, latterly Raymond and Kevin. Um Kevin's a bit taller. He was good in the air, so there was a kind of balance there. Um, really difficult to pick between those two partnerships but I went for the partnership of Montgomery and McGowan. Raymond's obviously the word legend's used quite a lot, but Raymond really has a a kind of command legend still involved at the club. And I had a great admiration for Raymond because you get players who really maximize all the ability they have. And I can honestly say Raymond was the one player that sticks out and that's not a criticism of Raymond, it's a compliment. But he was one player I can think I played with that really maximised everything they had on the pitch. I, wore, I touched on physically he wasn't he wasn't the tallest. Raymond was a real compet, real competitor. He was a warrior. In Terms of going in man marking, if you gave Raymond a job, just go and play against somebody, no matter who it was, they would hardly get a kick of the ball. Um, we used to. His nickname was Ditcher. Because, again, he was quick enough, nobody really got away from the game with those last-ditch tackles. He was a fantastic man-marker, great competitor. One, the strengths he didn't have, he, was, he maybe wasn't the most technical centre-back in terms of possession, but he knew that, he kept it simple. Um, but, again, just a, a fantastic guy, a, a gentleman off the park, on the park, a real competitor, a real warrior and I had to go with Raymond to throw it out um, just for everything he brought really reliable Mr. Consistency every week you get the same performance every week from Raymond you could rely on Raymond and you knew that he would be there for you Big Kevin, always remember Ali McCoy saying the two best centre-backs that he played with that never get capped was John Brown at Rangers and Kevin McGowan and Kevin had all the attributes that you would look for and a centre back. He was good in the air. Again, I touched on earlier about football intelligence. He was a really intelligent player, Kevin. He read the game really well. He wasn't lightning quick. But again, because he's football intelligence and reading of the game, you very rarely saw any centre forwards running away from Kevin because of the position he positioned himself well. Uh, and once he got those big legs going he was he was absolutely fine. But what Kevin also had as a centre back, he was a really good footballer. And he had a fantastic range of passing, hitting big, big, long diagonals. So I think Kevin, in terms of centre-back, ticked all the boxes that you would look for. So that's why I have I went for, for Kevin and Raymond.
0: Now there's one name that I am, um, because people will will be surprised if I don't ask, about Freddie Dindaloo.
1: Again, Freddie's one name that, I had actually thought of and I just didn't mention them there I think it's always difficult for must be difficult for foreign players to come over and to adapt to a different style of football and off the top of my head I'm thinking Jerome Varay who adapted really well I think it's probably a bit easier for a defender to come and adapt than maybe a forward type player but Freddie was one that came in and adapted really well and again you talk about Kind of cult status with supporters. Freddy was a big, a big fans' favourite, and again, good defender, as you'd expect from somebody that played at a decent level in France. Really good footballer as well, and yeah, he was he was a fantastic
0: player for Kamala and did really well. But I just couldn't put him in front of either Kevin or or Raymond. Is it fair to say that that partnership that you talked about earlier, you see that in terms of the team that you've put together here, the partnership at centre half being so important?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that is important that they get an understanding and it can, can become almost telepathic You know what, what the other one's doing. I mean, you look at even other teams, you, you think of the Man United size, you know, your Fed Banans, your Vidic, Vidic. So I think it is, it's one area of the team. And through that spine of the team is really important. Goalkeepers, centre-backs, you know, a midfield player and one of your strikers. It is is really important but I think that centre back partnership can be can be really really important and if they can jail as a partnership I think that really adds to the to the team no matter what your team is or your formation if you've got two centre backs that really work well together and I think those two partnerships that I mentioned early on, Montgomery and
0: Millen and Montgomery and McGowan did that very well. Mark moving on to the midfield now You've talked a little bit already about the the formation having the potential to be a fluid style of formation, but how, in what formation or what positions would you see the four midfielders lining up?
1: I'll start off in a diamond shape, and then maybe when I've finished explaining my four players, I'll, I'll then explain to you where the four could fit in, in other formations within that midfield. So if I start my diamond, I go to the right hand side. When you think of players I played with over that eleven kind of years. You've know, you got maybe players like Pat Nevin, who was fantastic, did really well for the club. Again, touching on natural ability, a player that, if it was just pure natural ability, could I pick him or should I pick him? Then you've got Kokard, who played top level technically, who would probably make my team. But he doesn't. And just that right-hand side, two players that really stick out for me that would have been really, really good in that position was... Was early on in the, the early nineties was Mark Skillen. Mark Skillen was probably one of the best athletes I played with, and I think if it hadn't been for injury, probably would have gone on to have a really good career. And probably would have got a move from Kilmarnock, maybe to a higher level. He was an incredible athlete, but just really struggled with injury. But when Mark played, he was he did a fantastic job for the for the team. And the other one that again touching on. Uh, fans' favourites was Gary Hall, and Gary would be perfect in that that position—a real powerhouse, really strong, strong runner, box to box, not a problem. Powerful, kind of un- unassuming guy again, quite a quiet guy in the park. Big killer supporter, but in that position, I'm going to go with Ali Mitchell. We talk about consistency. I think over and, and longevity. I think for the eleven years Ali Mitchell was there, he was he was incredible for Kamalnock. He was a guy who was not lightning quick, but he was quick enough to by goodbye, goodbye players. He was incredibly fit over that decade, one of the fittest players that I played with. He was powerful. He gave everything for the club, not even just on a Saturday, Been training. You know, he he worked his socks off every day in training. And I think the thing that set Ali apart as well was that I think he scored about 45 goals for the club. So you would always get goals from Ali Mitchell. And to be honest, Gordon, when I look back at my 11 years at the club, pound for pound, Ali Mitchell was probably my favourite Kelly teammate for everything he did for the club. And you talk about that
0: consistency, he did it for 11 years. He was fantastic. So I've got to go with him in that position. Thank you answered one of the questions that I was going to ask later on, which is who would have been the player that you enjoyed playing with the most personally? And a lot of Monarch fans will know or might be able to guess the reasons why a teammate might like playing with Ali Mitchell. But can you maybe just verbalise it a little bit, please? What was it about his way of playing that appealed to you?
1: It it, it, it just gave everything. He gave a hundred and ten percent. Was that when you were in a dressing room and you were going out on sat a Saturday? No matter if the chips were down, if you were struggling, if you're fighting relegation, and a cup final, if you're in a whatever it was, when you looked round and you knew you had Ali Mitchell beside you, you knew that you knew what you were getting. Uh, he was just a pocket dynamo. He just he was, he was brilliant, he was a lovely guy as well. You know, I used to kinda of wind him up, traveled with him for a bit and I used to wind him up. You know, I used to say, Look, you up for this today. Everybody called me Mavis, but he was a one. He, he just always referred to me as Riley. And he'd be like, no, are you up for it, Riley? You, you better be up for it. And it was just, he wasn't a, it was a committed player. He wasn't a dirty player, but he was committed. And as I say, he had so many attributes in terms of he could tackle, he could go box to box, he could go by people. He could have played him in any, anywhere across the middle and anywhere up front. And he would be an 8 out of 10 every week. Used to call him the blingery bull. Was from Ballingry and Ian Durant used to used to call him the Calf Monster because actually his calves were bigger than most people's size. But in the dressing room, he was the loveliest guy ever. You know, he's just a lovely guy. But he would get involved in the banter. People would wind him up. He would give a bit back. As I say, just just a just a great. Great character. As I say, pound for pound, certainly in my 11 years, I don't think O'Malley's made a better signing in, in my time at the club for, for value for money, that they got from Ali Mitchell. He's fantastic. The next midfielder, please. Again, there could be a number of players, you know, from your Sean McSkimmons who've done a fantastic job, Alec Bucks, Robert Connors, you know, a lovely footballer, but I don't think this will be a surprise to too many. Um, I've got to go for Tam Burns. Just for the, I think, the impact Tam had when he first came to the club. And obviously, when I first went, Tam was a, was a teammate of mine before being the manager. And I think he helped take the club to that next level. And I'm not talking about as a manager, I'm talking about as a player as well. Just the presence he already had, the ability he had. You know, he, he was obviously a fantastic footballer. Tam was also deceptively quick. I know it's last stages of his career over a few yards Tam Tam was quick and he was quick with the ball as well and he was very strong he was powerful um, and he had a real winner mentality you know he was a lovely guy really funny guy witty guy but he had that other side of him as well that real fiery passionate side but just a just a top class footballer and again similar to Ali Mitchell he would not as many goals but Tam would chip in with some goals as well so he gave you that goal threat um, and he gave us that balance on the left hand side and, and talking about you touched on away at the start about how setting the team up although Tam was at that stage his career and, and maybe defensively wasn't his strongest part he would still go and take the part in pressing and he would still work hard and, and he would press and he'd obviously great football intelligence. In particular, playing with George McCulliskey, he had a telepathic understanding where if a square pass could play into to Tam, he would just play round the corner first time into George and it was that understanding. So he had a really good footballing brain as well. Just a top-class footballer. So I I don't think that'll be a
0: surprise to to too many supporters that went for Tam on the left-hand side. Gus McPherson and Ali Mitchell. Tam Black and Tam Burns on right-hand side and left-hand side respectively. How would those players work together? What would be the dynamic?
1: I think Gus and Ali get a good understanding, because I think Ali predominantly with the formations would maybe play just in front of Gus in a slightly wider area as a conventional right-winger, wide-right type player. So there was a good understanding there. If Ali was in slightly more in a diamond shape, then it gave Gus the, you know, that chance to get beyond them. But as I said, my midfield's flexible as well. It could also play in a in a flat four where Ali could play wide right and Tam could go wide left. And I think there was that kind of understanding. Maybe the majority of times where Tam Black played and Tam played, Tam would be slightly more in the pitch rather than wide left because he'd maybe be Sean it at that stage. But there was that kind of understanding that you get to know the players. So, for example, Tam Black would know how Tam would play in front of him and vice versa, Tam... Tam Burns would know how Tam Black would play behind him and when it would be on for Tam we overlap and when he could give him it, etc. So there was
0: that, that kind of understanding there as well, which which is important. Obviously, there was a little bit of you know the dad's army kind of idea in in the early 90s, signing experienced players. But I think it's maybe fair to say as well that players in this team that you've selected had their best Kilmarnock years, arguably, when they were coming towards the, the latter stages of their career as well. You learn from experience. Kilmarnock was lucky enough to have a lot of these players for, for many years. So the team that you're selecting, at its peak, they would all be experienced players. And do you think that would make a difference as well? I
1: think that makes a big difference. I haven't, I haven't
0: selected any players on how they
1: performed prior to joining Kilmarnock. So, for example... There's no doubt Dan Burns, for example, he's probably his best days was a period at Celtic. I've purely selected him and how, and I've done that with all my players, how they performed for Kilmarnock. And I think that experience is important, but they've also got to contribute to the team Apart from experience, actually performance on the pitch as well. You do things that nature of experience as well that you don't do as a young player. You don't have to think about certain things. Positionally, when the ball's in a certain area, you automatically you know where you should be or you know what's going to happen. That only comes through experience and knowledge. And there is a lot of experience through my team. And I do think that is vital. But they also had to produce and give something other
0: than that experience, which I think all my players have done, that I've selected talking about experience then, and if we're thinking about the, the central midfield area, you've already eliminated, I know that you'd suggested that Gary Holt would be good in that slightly tucked in right midfield, or that right centre midfield position. Gary Holt isn't in the team, and there's a couple of other names that you've eliminated already. Who would be that holding midfielder?
1: The holding midfielder is one that will be a surprise to the supporters, and it's probably one that the majority of them won't agree with. I went for Andy Mellon in that position. One of the reasons it's a surprise as well is Andy Miller never played in that position for Kilmarnock. However, he did play in that position for Hibbs, and he did play in that position with Clyde, and he played for St Millen in that position. The reason I've behind with Andy, I think it's another position that Gary Holt could have filled. I think Gary Holt's strength was using that physical power and getting through box to box. Alan Mahood's another player who was a really good footballer, and I think was probably more a a technical footballer. I think Alan actually improved as a player when he came to Kumala in terms of his defensive side of his game. So he could have played there. But I went for Andy Millen for for a a number of reasons. I spoke earlier about football intelligence. And Andy was a really, really intelligent football player in terms of organising. He was a great communicator as well. He was a good footballer. He had that mentality where he knew how to defend properly and I think with the team I've picked the other three midfield players this main strengths attacking going forward so the holding role is really important and I think Andy Millen in terms of organising, communicating his football intelligence another thing I kind of touched on two, two players on the team i picking picked a team out of class could be really nasty and Andy Millen was one of them Andy took the head off his granny He won a football match, and he had that real kind of nasty streak as well. And I just think overall, players that I could pick in that position, I think Andy Millen would be best suited for that. I will be surprised to many people, but any teammate that played with him probably won't be surprised. And I think looking back, changing slightly, going back to the centre back position, I think when Andy. Andy was a fantastic signing under Tommy Burns and I don't think for the period he played centre-back there was any more consistent. He was consistent week in, week out and did a fantastic job and just to touch on the flexibility of my team as well, if I had to go to a back three,
0: depending on the formation any opposition played, Andy could drop back in and play beside Kevin and Raymond. So that was another reason why I went for Andy as a whole midfielder. I'm not going to embarrass you, Mark, by saying are you sure you don't want to pick Mark Riley in that position all I'll say is that when I spoke with Ray Montgomery Tom Black and Paul Wright they all name checked Mark Riley as the the player they, whose name they like to see on the team sheets. now separate to your selection of, of Andy Millen is that something that you would have been aware of when you were playing that that you were valued that highly by your teammates uh,
1: I do yeah, I, I don't think I, I was ever, to be honest, in a fan's favourite. I, wasn't the, I was never the type of player that would get fans off their seat unless they were getting off to boo me, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think I was the type of player that endeared themselves to the supporters. I did a specific role. I knew what I was good at. I knew what I wasn't good at. I knew my strengths. I, I was never going to be a fan's favourite. And, and, and I was aware throughout my career that you know, I would get a bit of criticism from supporters, but I think you had to be strong-willed, you had to be resilient, and keep doing what you think is the right thing to do. And I knew my role in the team, and I, I think I was appreciated. I think it was. I was probably appreciated more by my teammates and my manager than I would be by supporters. Because I wasn't, I wasn't the type of player, all joking aside, I wasn't the type of player that would get supporters off their seats and do something. you go, wow, that was great. I wasn't that type of player. But there's specific roles in every team. And the ugly side of the game is part of that, that you have to do. And, and that's probably what I did. So, yeah, I, I think I
0: was appreciated by, by my teammates. And, and And that was good enough for me. Moving on then from that idea of the defensive midfielder, that kind of anchor role in the team, in the diamond, who's going to bring that creativity in that number 10 role?
1: Again, you could have played a co-card in there, you could have played a number of players in there, but I think this will be no surprise. I went for Ian Durant in there. And again, you—I think you touched on earlier, Gordon, about players coming towards the end of their career. And I think Ian Durant is a great example of this. You could probably ask him yourself, but I think he must have played some of his best football when he came to Comarnock. He was obviously a great player for Rangers, but in terms of that creativity, he, he was incredible when he came to Comarnock. He really kind of took us to that that next level with that, with that ability and creativity that he had. And he would chip in with the odd goal as well. And I think that's a good thing from my midfield, where, you know, there's goals there from Ali Mitchell. Durant would chip in with a few. And Cam Burns scored quite a few goals for command, So three out of the four would, would provide you with goals as well. And Durant would, would just give you that. That's something different. You know, there were times in the park you'd play beside him and he would, he would make a pass and you'd like, I never saw that. He was just a, a really, really intelligent and talented footballer. And I think the biggest thing for me about Ian Durant, when you look at his early career with Rangers before his serious injury, it was more, for, for those old enough to remember, like Terry McDermott at Liverpool, he was a, he was a running midfielder. He was like a box-to-box getting beyond strikers and scoring goals for Rangers and then he got that serious injury and he almost changed his game to become that kind of playmaker, more creative type player Um, because he maybe wasn't as mobile as he was in his early career and to be able to do that just shows you how talented he actually
0: was. Concerns about his fitness that there would have been when he joined. Those first two seasons, he played a lot of football. He did and I think he thrived on the responsibility when he came to Kilmarnock and He's obviously got off to a good start, and he's playing really well. And he obviously became that that main player in the team. And I think he really he thrived on that. And I think he, I've I've never actually
1: asked him, but I'm sure he'll speak really fondly his time at Comarnock because he, his his performances in in the pitch actually showed how much he enjoyed that. And I think Alan McCoyce was the same. Both of them came at the kind of latter stages of their career after being, spending so long at, at Rangers and I know speaking to McCoy that you know he, he speaks really fondly his time at Kilmarnock and as you see I think maybe a lot of people would look and see how oh, they're just coming to go through the motions for the last few years of their career and they certainly brought a lot to, to the dressing room but They also contributed greatly um, on
0: the pitch, and none more so than Durant, who, as I say, really really helped at that stage um, take the team, I think, to, to that next level. The team, it's competitive. It's got the partnerships that you're looking for. It's got the experience of playing with each other down a number of years, which can be quite important. There's that creative spark. Well, there's Tommy Burns and there's Ian Durant. There's goals from Ali Mitchell. The one thing I'm wondering is, do you feel that this team would have enough of as they would call it, enough legs in it. Is there enough pace in this team? Yeah, I think
1: um, I think that is, is a question and rightly so, a valid question. I think in an ideal world, you wouldn't want Tam Burns playing wide right, S4 playing wide left, where there's maybe more running involved. I think two of my midfield players are two of the fittest players that I've played with in my, in my 21 years as a footballer. Ali Mitchell... And Andy Millen would run all day. Tam Burns was defensively maybe not his strong point, but Tam was quick and he was maybe at that stage his career, maybe not quite as fit as he was at 28, or whatever when he was at Celtic. But he would still do a shift for in the middle of the park. Ian Durant, maybe not as so much of him, but he could just fill in defensively in a particular area when, when we lost the ball. And I think if our team was organised enough that it would defensively it would do well enough. In an ideal world, more legs? Yeah, it's a possibility. But I think I've got to weigh up the strength of the team and look at what the team can bring. And I think there's a lot more positives in my selections than, than the negatives. For the midfield, of the Tam Burns era, he had real legs with Mitchell, Matt Skilling, when Tam wasn't playing. Maybe not so much myself and Sean McSkiven, really powerful runner. It's not quite maybe get the midfield, get the legs of that that kind of team, but it certainly got more
2: quality. The first thing that springs to mind from your strikers, you're looking for goals. And then I'm looking for strikers that would complement each other. Two strikers that could play together. And I read it down to four. It was the hardest choice
1: for me in terms of picking my team. One of the four strikers was technically the best striker I played with, but he doesn't make the team. And that's purely because of that jailing and that being able to work together and play as a partnership and look for something different that would help the team. So, for example, you've just touched on, was there a lack of pace on your side? That was one of the things I looked at with my strikers and one of the things that I felt was important to add in with one of my strikers to provide the team with that pace. So if a team played higher up the pitch against us, we had one of our strikers who would be a real threat and was really quick to go in behind and be able to lengthen the game and give that threat. So goals and the partnership, being able to work together and add to the dynamics of the team as well. So it's not just about the strikers, it is that can you play into a striker who's got a good touch, can they link up? If you get someone else who's maybe good in the air, if you get someone else who can get in behind, be a real threat pace-wise and cause teams problems if you need to stretch the game. So I looked into that in terms of my strikers and it was definitely that, uh, picking the two strikers was that, was definitely the most difficult thing for me my, my team selection. My four strikers are Paul Wright, George McCluskey, Bobby Williamson, Jim McIntyre. I looked at the other strikers and I looked at guys like Tom Brown who had done incredibly well for the club you know he came in he went from the space of a year playing junior football to playing a cup for that. Scottish Cup final you know he was worked really hard incredible in there for his size he was like an Eric Black he just, just hang there Matt Roberts who was coming through a talented young player and thought he was going to be a real top top player but did well for Kilmarlane did a good career Jerome Varay touching on the you know the, the cult supporters mm. um Favourites, Jerome, Jerome was a fantastic striker for the club, did really well, adapted probably better than any other foreign player that I played with coming in, adapted really well, was a real handful for defenders, I really liked Jerome, Jerome was really close to my to my thinking as well, and I read it down to those four strikers, and I, I've said the way I, I didn't go for George, and I think it's probably easier to, for me to explain why I didn't go for George, if I tell you who one of my strikers I did go for, mm-hmm. one of my strikers had to go for Paul Wright. I went yep. to my strikers and the first thing I'm looking for is goals. And of all the strikers that I played with at Comarnock, Paul Wright scored the most goals. And I don't think that's his, be a surprise to the supporters that I picked him. I think Paul scored probably about, I think it was about 58 goals in 148 games for the club, which... Is a really good return, and all my strikers that I played with, he was was a a high school scorer. But what he also brought to the team was he was a really good footballer. He had a good touch. He was great at linking up and bringing people into play. He was brilliant at taking the ball in. Again, he had a great range of passing. So he was really good. If a midfield player played it into him, he'd take a touch and then he'd switch it diagonally and open the game up. But obviously, he had good right foot, good left foot. Strong, great striker of the ball, and scored a a, a lot of goals, a lot of important goals for the club. So I couldn't leave him out. And then touching on George, I looked. I play George with Paul Wright. If the game was only played in the penalty box, that would have been my two strikers, mm. because George, technically and ability wise, was, was the best striker that I played with. Although he's coming to the end of his career, he wasn't a physical player but he had a physical presence because he was a big guy. But his touch was incredible. His guile, turning and defenders. I can remember playing against him when he was at Hamel before he, before he came and he, he would close him down you think, I've got the ball, and he would nutmeg you hmm. goodbye you. He could really make things harm. But I just felt that George couldn't play with Paul Wright because they were too similar. And I think if a team squeezed the game high up the pitch, talking about that pace that you touched on, To play a ball in behind, I don't think that was George's game. I don't think it was Paul's game. Although I touched on at the start that necessarily the best player won't make my team. I think George falls into that. Technically, fantastic player. Um, So talented. But I had to play Paul Wright. And then I had to get someone who would complement Paul Wright and complement the team and give us that something different. And then that left me with Jim McIntyre and Bobby Williamson. And you look at the strengths and I look at Jim, Jim played as a partner with Paul, which came into my thinking. And Jim was a good link-up player as well, left-sided, had a good touch, did link-up. Again, had all the attributes you're looking for from a striker, he was really good in the air and he was a strong runner, so he was able to go in behind. Out of all the strikers, I think Jim only scored nine goals for the, for the club, so probably not as prolific a goal scorer for Kilmarnock, but he had the other attributes where, you know, he could he could link up, he was good in the air, he could get into channels, he would be an out-ball for the full-backs as well, and it was really close between Jim and Bobby, and I looked at Bobby's strengths, Bobby didn't have as good a touch as Jim McIntyre, link-up play maybe not quite as good, but he was really pacey. Out of all the strikers that I played with He was the quickest And he was strong Bobby's strength was going in channels Do that all day long What he was also brilliant at Was defending from the front Going back to that Tam Burns team 94 Where we played a high pressing game Bobby was integral To that He would start it off Because Bobby would be a defender's nightmare Because he would put you under
2: pressure Touched on earlier as well He had a real nasty side to him as well. I I would have hated to play against Bobby because you know as a defender, when you're clearing the ball, you've got six studs coming down your shin after it. It was a nightmare to play with, eh, to play against, sorry, in in that regard. But I think what edged it for me, I went for Bobby
1: in the team. And again, Bobby was a goal scorer. So I think Bobby scored 38 goals in 145 games. So after Paul Wright, he's far and away um, the second highest goal scorer that I played with in terms of strikers. I've kind of gave up that aerial threat that Jim McIntyre had, and that link-up. Paul Wright would give you that. Bobby would give you a real pace in behind. He would score goals. Paul Wright would score goals. And he would defend from the front. And get back to what you, you touched on about the legs in the team, mm-hmm. he really would defend from the front and um, really started things off in that regard. In opposition, had the ball made it difficult for people? And he had that real... Daniel Nasty side to him as well, which might not be nice to hear. But I think every football team needs those winners, and I think through the spine of the team I've got that. So that's
0: why I went for, for Paul Wright and Bobby. The word leadership is coming coming through in every single position. Who is going to be your captain?
2: Oh that's a uh... I was going to say a difficult one. I think you've got to go with Raymond because he was the captain for that period of time. In terms
1: of communication and organisation and vocally, there was, was more vocal leaders than Raymond. But Raymond never did anything as a captain in my eleven years at the club that would suggest to me that he, did, he doesn't deserve to be the captain. So Raymond would be my, would be my captain.
0: So there you have it, Mark Riley's Best Eleven from more than a decade in Ayrshire. Gordon Marshall, Gus McPherson, Tom Black, Ray Montgomery, Kevin McGowan, Andy Mellon, Ali Mitchell, Tommy Burns, Ian Durant, Bobby Williamson, and Paul Wright. Now all Mark needs to do is explain to the pals he didn't choose. A big thank you to Mark for taking the time to look back at some outstanding Kilmarnock players. There will also be a full episode later in the year looking at Mark's career at Kilmarnock in more detail. Thanks also to Ray Montgomery for setting up the interview. It's the support of Monty and Paul Clark of the former Players Association which makes Killy Histories the success that it is. Thank you also to the Killy Trust for the ongoing backing of the project's production costs. Killer Histories is made by Right Half Communications. Find out more at righthalf.co.uk If you like the series, the best way to support it is to share the episodes on social media. The first 13 episodes can be found on the new Killer Histories website, www.killerhistories.com, And do follow on Twitter, at killehistories.com. The theme music, Clear Progress, by ScottHolmesMusic.com is used under a free Creative Commons license. I'm Gordon Gillen. See you next time. Would you be confident that this team would do well in the big matches? Hell yeah, I, I do, I think um, solid
1: defensively, happy with the goalkeeper, happy with my back four, all solid, reliable defenders, I think my midfield, there's a good balance there um, between real, two real fit guys, hard workers, good organisers, um, three of my four midfielders would, would give you goals, and my two strikers, there's definitely goals in them, and then there's the other qualities that I spoke about as well with Bobby. You know, that pace and that defending from the front making it difficult for people. So I think that would be a team that would do well, yeah.